You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and Arthur Parkinson. I have asked Adam to join me, my husband, Adam Nicholson, instead of Arthur today, because we are just back from a trip to Holland, and we're just back from the Netherlands, where we went to visit Dahlia Trials, and we had such a good time that I actually thought it would be quite a fun thing to do an episode. I mean, I'd love it if we could have done it from there, but it's just too complicated. But the thing about how we and others breed dahlias, I think is, is worth explaining. And then Adam could maybe talk about being in the fields and doing the selections. Welcome, Adam. Hi. Hello. Thanks. <laughs> we're sitting We're sitting in our kitchen yeah. uh, with our dogs and with the fire lit because it's a pretty miserable day. So how you breed a new dahlia is basically you select something, a characteristic and a variety that you particularly like. So for instance, at the moment, we are really, really keen on growing dahlias for pollinators. So we tend to select from either the single varieties the collarettes, which is the singles with a whirl of petals at the center, or the new anemone flag group, which almost looks like there's a sort of sea anemone in the middle of a single dahlia. And that's because all of those are very rich in nectar and pollen. And then you're crossing it with a color that you like. And so we tend to like the sort of burnished, umbery, rich, crimsony colors, almost more than the pales. So that's what you're looking for. So you're crossbreeding, just like with any plant, you're getting the pollen from one dahlia that you love and you're putting it on the stigma of another dahlia that you love and hoping that that fertilizes it. And then you net it before and after your, in a way, artificial pollination so that a bee doesn't come along and do it for you before you get there. So it's netted before, unnetted, you pollinate it and then net it again. And then the seed from that is collected. Once the seed head has dried, it's collected. And you then grow out all the seeds from that particular hybridization. And the amazing thing is that not one single plant that you grow then from those seeds is going to be the same. So even though they're cross-pollinated in the same moment, you will get a range of color and characteristics similar, but you will get a range. And then I'm going to hand over to Adam now to explain what then happens. So step one is the cross-fertilization. Step two is what Adam is going to describe. Well, I hope he is. Yes. So by the time we got there the other day, all of that had already happened. And these breeders, the very nice thing about the breeders is that it's all it all feels so homemade, doesn't it? Yeah. It's kind of these quite small enterprises with people who really care, who've kind of devoted their lives to making beautiful data. So you turn up, or we turned up, in these kind of little nowheres, really, in the middle of Holland, a, a small shed, a small field next to it. And there, in the field, would be lines and lines of incredibly various dahlias. Yes. Like just, you know, in your garden, 
everything is the same for kind of three or four hundred yards. <laughs> it is not. <laughs> just these straight lines of, yes, I love that one. But these were like, it looked like the, the, the lines of people queuing to see the poor queen. Yes. It was kind of millions of them lined up, this, playing all kinds of games. And so we then walked the lines with the breeder and he had in his hand uh, a bunch of bamboos. And when we got to one we liked the look of, he stuck the bamboo in the ground carefully next to its tuber. Yeah. Right deep down in the kind of bed of the, the dahlias so that he could then I- identify it in future. So then what happens is, so having made a selection, so for instance, when we were there together, I think we probably selected six or eight And then what happens is that he will carefully dig up those and the others that neither us or anyone else has selected literally get binned. And he will then keep the tuber if it has formed tubers. Now, they don't always form tubers, so you may fall at the first hurdle. So he may go to dig up that one and there's no tuber there, and in which case it's probably too late to take cuttings, so that's a goner. So you always lose some at that first stage. But what you hope for is that that tuber can then be lifted and then brought into growth the following February and March inside. And from that tuber, you will then get cuttings. And what you hope for, for most strong-grown dahlias, is, let's say, 20 cuttings from a tuber, if you're lucky. So we're already into year three of the process now, aren't we? Yes. So So you've grown it from seed. No, no, no. You you do the pollination. Pollination. Then you grow the seeds that you've chosen. The following spring, yeah. Then you grow on the tuber if it's made one. So then you you take cuttings that spring. So from one that one unique tuber, you might, if you're as I say, if you're lucky, you might get twenty cuttings it, because you might get two or three crops um, from that tuber. So you would bring it into growth, get one lot, bring it into growth again, you know, or keep growing it. So you're hoping for, let's say, optimistically twenty. So you then grow on those 20 individual plants that are, because they're vegetatively propagated from cuttings, identical to the parent that you selected. So they are flowering in year four of the process. Yes, it is three or four. Yes, it's that's four, right. Four, yeah. Okay. And then what happens is they get planted in a block in the field and you observe them. So the breeder will observe them. And Often you get to that point and actually they turn out not to be particularly strong or particularly flowery or not tuber growers. And so at that point, they could easily hit the buffers and be binned. If you're really lucky, they don't. And the following year, well, that that autumn you lift them. You divide the tubers if they form good tubers. You can physically snip them up. Yeah. So you've got two ways of propagating at that point. So you can divide the tuber and each of those new tubers you can take cuttings from. So at that point, you're entering sort of several hundred of one variety. So of the 20, you might get 20 each. So if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. Exactly. So 400 400 in year, what year are we now? So we're in year five now. Yeah, 400 in year five, yeah. Exactly. And then it's then that really you can pretty much judge, okay, this seems to be a good doer. But what we then do, and we'll come back to your one in a minute, what we then do is we then try and select some at stage one and some at that later stage, so the fifth year stage, 
because they've proven themselves already. And we then bring them those fifth year ones, one or perhaps five plants of each and trial them here and see that they grow well in our climate and in the UK. I mean, it's very similar to Holland, but that they're flowery and that they don't get mildew and et cetera, et cetera. And they look great in the garden. And that they're beautiful, exactly. And some might have really good vase life or, or one particular characteristic. But again, some we get back here. So we're, you know, and they're not so good. So possibly out of the five, six or seven that you and I selected in Holland a couple of weeks ago, maybe only one or possibly if we're lucky two will actually make it through to finally us marketing them as so it's one of our year days. six in a catalogue well no because then we grow them here and we, we oh, so that okay so we, we, ha- we then have to have 18 months at least to bulk them up enough before we can release them in enough volume to okay, sell so yes yeah, so we're all going to be dead before these things <laughs> all right <laughs> i know well that's why so i want to then shortcut onto so we were walking down this line with a breeder and I'd seen a few that I really liked and then suddenly you got restless and off you went and spotted something a little bit further off in the distance which was a big block of a really amazingly glamorous looking dahlia that looked to me almost like a cross between a velvet fortuny curtain and a Dutch brick yard so red and umber and amber and all those sort of beautiful colors and a toffee apple and it and it looked very like a toffee apple and it was an absolute stunner so that is the one that uh we bought one plant back and we will have another four or five plants next spring and that is the one that we will hopefully if we decide we do still like it and it doesn't get mildew and it is flowery and the pollinators like it will be adam's choice Thank you very much. So that's exciting, isn't yeah, it? It's very exciting. He wasn't sure that it had the kind of, you know, beef in it, no. did, was he? No, he wasn't. So the whole thing may collapse. I mean, there was a good block, what, maybe four or five hundred of them. I, w- I would have said there were two blocks, weren't there? And really? it looked really cool, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Very cool colour. As Obviously very on trend, because that's the sort of person I am. Of course, they were very, very trendy. Mm. So let's just talk briefly about the other ones that we've selected and the reasons we selected them. So two years ago, I went with Lou Farmer, my business partner, and she did exactly the same, which is that she walked the field. And again, she luckily, the one she really fell for was one that was already not in your stage, so not at the four, 500 tuber stage, but the stage before that. So there were already sort of a couple of hundred plants. So we were able to release that relatively quickly. And then we've got Abigail, who's our head horticultural buyer. So again, she was selected at your stage. So we were able to release her quite quickly. But Molly Raven, Molly Raven, we saw at year two. Mm. And so she was at the 20 plant stage so a small block of 20 and she has turned out to be perhaps the best performer of all we're absolutely triumphant because she was on the front page of the rhs magazine the garden and she is a she is a real corker is is molly raven she's the one of our only ones that isn't a single so she's in fact interestingly is visited by the hoverflies but not by butterflies or bees it seems but she has a wonderful vase life and she's fantastic in a pot and she's by far our most rigorous variety out of all of the ones that we've selected. Well, we we must talk about the people we had with us. Yes. Dickie Skipper. Yes. Who's this incredible plants woman, Dutch plants woman, 
who has the most phenomenal eye. You're just strolling around pretty daily out. <laughs> in at, your case. In my case. At the end of the day, where literally I would have seen four or 500. Yeah. Or four or 5,000. And Dickie would still be saying, look at this. Look, have you seen like the little green sparkle in this one? Or what about that marvellous foliage and so on? And so... I think, you know, we wouldn't be anywhere without her, would we? No. And previously, I've gone n- not just with Dickie, but also with another friend who I've met both these people totally through dahlias called Queen von Boxtel. And both of them have a slightly, we all have a similar eye, but slightly different emphasis. And I would say Corrine likes slightly softer colors than me. And Dickie is more forgiving of yellow than I am. And really, I find pink and yellow quite tricky together, but she's much more forgiving of that combination. And with you, it was good too, because you definitely spotted things like the other beautiful one you selected was with these like Verone's obsidian, if any of you know that variety, which is a sort of black single with this golden heart with these long, thin, not needle-like petals because they were sort of plumper and lusher no, they were than more that. like olive leaf or, or kind of almost willow leaf, each yeah. petal, weren't yeah. they? Like but a long, so long. Egyptian so eye long. Yeah. like that. Yeah, the longest petals of a single day I've ever seen. Yeah. And so elegant. And you selected that one and I selected a really fiery orange colorette. So really, really, literally like the embers of a fire, but with a paler a whirl of, of colorette petals in the center. And up very unusually, not a yellow center, but a sort of crimsony, burnished, bronzy sort of center, which was particularly lovely. And what about the Dahlia Pope? Ah, yes, we've got to mention the Dahlia Pope because the, the Dahlia Pope is a man called Rene, who again, I've now known probably for 20 years. And we have quite a funny rivalry, who knows more about Dahlias <laughs> than he or me. And I'm absolutely sure he does, but there's a variety that we've just selected here, which is going in our catalogue in spring 24. That's how far ahead we have to work. And it's called Dutch Delight. And I sent a picture of this and Renee came back saying, no, no, that's Penhill Dark Monarch. And I came back and said, no, it's not Penhill Dark Monarch. I promise you it isn't. And he came back and said, yes, I absolutely, I categorically say that it is. And we, we paid ping pong on the email. And in the end, I photographed the ones that he was saying it was, which was either Penhill Watermelon, Penhill Dark Monarch. And I photographed that and this one that was then unnamed. And he that was, was really sweet enough to admit, Sarah, I was wrong. And actually, you're right. And it's a new variety that was a number is now been named and it's called Dutch Light and it's he's beautiful. An, he's an incredible man, isn't he? I mean, he's a complete encyclopedia of Dahlia-ism. Yeah. And, and it's amazing, isn't it, that you can just turn up, you know, get get the, the, the channel tunnel, drive over and book straight into this extraordinary kind of archive of knowledge and skill, isn't it? It's phenomenal, I yeah. think. Yeah. I loved that. I really did. These... The breeders. Super, super yeah. experts. Yes. And the thing I think that, you know, to bring this to a close in a way, is the thing that's so exciting about dahlias, and for me, even more exhilarating perhaps than tulips, is that you've got two ways of propagating them. So you can spot a totally, utterly, ravishingly unique beauty, and relatively quickly, you can release her to the market. Whereas with a tulip, it takes twice as long because, of course, with a tulip, 
you've just got the bulb and that's the only way of propagating it with the bulb bills from around the outside. And so that takes so long, 10, 15 years from one unique crossbreeding to bring it out to the market. Whereas with the dahlia, because you've got this double way propagating from tubers and propagating from cuttings, and that's the key thing. And if they're good cutting throwers, then you can release it more quickly and easily. And so for me, that's why it's like paying, I don't know, it's like going into a sweetie shop and cooking, but you know, it obviously it takes six years to produce your, your crop if you do it from beginning to end. But it feels it feels more doable. Whereas with the tulips, it really is the work of a lifetime in a sense. And well, um, I think it's like a kind of beauty mine. It's yes. a kind of mine that's just spewing out diamonds and emeralds. Yeah, that's and it's a very just good magical. description. Yeah. Good. Well, hopefully that gives you a bit of a taste of how fun it is to go to the daily fields as well as the tulip fields. Because of course the Kirkenhof and and visiting the, the Holland in the spring is an incredibly famous and and almost every gardener has done that at some point in their life. But not so many people realize that you can go and find these daily trial fields and visit them as a member of the public. And they're just wonderful, wonderful places if you love dahlias and you'd be mad not to. Well, that was a fun one for me to do with Adam. And next week... I'm joined by another guest, and that's Tanya Compton, who is an old friend of mine who I knew in my 20s and have re-met in my nearly 60s. And she has become an amazing expert on another use of plants, which is for dyes. And she dyes both wool threads and silk threads and the most beautiful organic silk. So we're talking about using dahlias, rebeccas, echinaceas and tulips as dyes. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.